Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church Podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. And let's go ahead and open our Bibles up today. If you brought a Bible, we're continuing our series called Jesus Over Everything. And I've been wrestling with the topics of what to share uh, over these next couple weeks. And so today I just really feel like this is one that the Lord just asked me to share today. And so I'm real excited about this message that the Lord gave me. And so, you know, growing up as a kid, uh, my grandpa, he would take me fishing. And, um, You know, we, uh, we, we loved to fish together, and he would take me different lakes. I grew up in Trotwood, and, and uh, we'd go to Madison Park Lakes and over there and go fishing. And, and uh, early on, he'd teach me how to put bait on a hook. Anybody like worms to put on the hook? How many of you actually, how many fish in the room? Anybody fish in the room? Okay. How many of you still use worms to fit? Okay. Anybody use catfish liver to catch catfish, anything like that? Yeah, we're going to see the, the honky-tonks in the room. Come on, somebody. We use, uh, we use, how many use weedy balls before you put the weedies in it? No, no, nobody will use those things either, huh? That's fine. That's fine. That's what I grew up on is, is how, how to catch catfish and, and those sorts of things. My grandpa would teach me how to put uh, bait on. Uh, he put the pole in my hand and we'd go fishing and, and uh, he taught me how to put that worm on a hook. And when, you know, my kids were growing up, we went fishing and, and uh, we'd take, take our kids fishing and teach them how to put the, the worm on. And, and uh, my son, Braden, uh, he loves to fish. And uh, he didn't like live bait very long. Come on, somebody. He, uh, he moved into the lure area really quick. How many know it's more expensive for a lure than it is a dozen worms? And so um, he, uh, he started fishing, and he used uh, lures, and now we have boxes of lures and Guggen bait and all that good stuff. Um, and um, so he left the live bait behind. But the idea when it comes to fishing, when it comes to luring the fish, that's what a lure, that's why it's called a lure. The lure is designed to lure the fish or to startle the fish and, and to get them to see something moving in the water that attracts them to bite. And, um, and so whenever, um, uh, you know, you're fishing, you move your lure around and, and all of a sudden you just you feel that little tap or you hit that, that large mouth that just comes out of the weeds and, and he sees that shiner coming by and he grabs a hold of it and, and scares you. Man, he just hits it hard. And what's happened, the, the shiny part of the lure has, has attracted him under the, underneath the surface to get him to grab a hold of, of the hook. And then you got him hooked. And once you get them hooked, you reel them in and you fillet them. Come on, somebody. Fish fry, hush puppies and French fries. Let's go. And so um, you, you bring them in and, you know, they're hooked. And, and I really feel like today that uh, Satan goes fishing. The enemy goes fishing in our life. And he brings these lures across our life, and he, he brings these things across our life that's, that, 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 that create uh, hurt and pain, and some of it's shiny stuff, and some of it's not shiny stuff. But, but I really believe that he has one bait that he's been using for years and been working for thousands of years, 
And this is the lure that he used. And it's really, it's why some people never come to Christ. It's why many uh, who have come to Christ won't be in church. They won't be watching online today. Many people, especially after 2020, uh, this lure, the enemy infiltrated this lure into the earth through deception. And it's created something in the planet to where uh, people now no longer necessarily go to church. It's why today in the church, people have lost their joy in the church can't stand this look right here right there's no joy there's no excitement and really I'm going to call this the bait of Satan and the bait of Satan that he's been using is the word offense being offended come on so I know it's not it's not like goosebump kind of material this morning but offense and being offended is the lure that the enemy has used, and it's deadly to a disciple of Jesus. To a Christ follower, it is deadly to be offended. It is a, the bait of Satan. It is, the, it is the lure that he uses to bring us into this place where we start to live in bitterness and unforgiveness. And, and, and you know, when I go back to 2020, I think about the offense and the, the offended people and, and where they are today, like living in that place of, of offense and, and what that held into their life and and how we walk around through pain and offense and and really we don't realize that offense is something that perpetrates every area of our life if you live in that place of offense. Uh, T. Austin Sparks said it this way, one of the greatest dangers of the Christian life lurks in the common pathway of discipleship. It is the peril of being offended. It's easy to be offended today. It's easy that if maybe we didn't get the recognition we thought we should get, we get offended. You know, if somebody says something the wrong way and we get offended, I really believe that we're living in a generation where it's easy to be offended. We get offended at the government. We get offended with the neighbor. We get offended with the salesman. We get offended with the person that's trying to wait on us at a restaurant. We, just, we get offended with our parents. and we get, it's, it's just a constant level of offense. And I want you to know something today. Offense is a deception of the enemy. It is something that the enemy uses to lure us in to being trapped. Matthew chapter 24. It is one of the end time scriptures that the Bible says this. He says this, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. He starts this whole passage about the end times with deception. He says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, which we are. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. And some of you are like, well, why is things happening the way they're, why are they happening the way they're happening? Because he says they're supposed to happen this way. He says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Amen. And you will be hated by all nations for my, nation, for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. Listen to what he says. In verse 10, one of the signs of living in the last days is that we are offended. He says that we will betray one another and we will hate one another. There's never been violence today and hate like there is in the current reality of what we're living in. That there is hate, there is betrayal, and there is offense. And offense is the thing that kicks off the rest. 
He says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. He says, when lawlessness and sin begins to ramp up in the earth, he says, many of those that once knew Jesus, their love for him will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Listen, we must be prepared and armed for offenses because our response determines our future. It determines our future. So today I want to talk to you about Jesus over offense or being offended. Defining uh, offense today is the Greeks had a word for the portion, and, and you know, if you look at a, a, a trap, a, a mouse trap, for say, and you look at the mouse trap, right? And so, what do you do with a mouse trap? You put peanut butter on it, you put a little peanut butter on there, right? You got mouse in your house, little mice, you put a little peanut butter on that bad boy, and that mouse smells that peanut butter, he gets enticed, and he comes, and he, puts, he starts to mess around with the peanut butter, and that peanut butter, which is called the bait, triggers a trap. When that mouse is enjoying his, his last meal, not knowing it's his last meal, eating his peanut butter, and then all of a sudden, snap, his neck's gone, rope. You find him. There he is. But you have to understand that that picture is the picture of this word called scandalon. This is the word for the word offense in the Bible. It's not the trap, it's the bait. See, offense isn't the trap. Well, I'm trapped in offense. You're trapped in offense because you took the bait. You didn't process pain well. You didn't process hurt well. You, you, you allowed your emotions to get the best of you. And all of a sudden, you took the bait of Satan, and it, literally, if you think about it, the, word, the English word from scandal is the word scandal. A scandal is something that offends us. It is, it is something, uh, to be scandalized means to be offended. And again, it's the part of the trap to which the bait has been attached. It literally means to lay a trap in someone's way. It means a stumbling stone or a stumbling block. It's an entrapment used by the enemy. I don't know how many times, like if you think about your life, how many times have you taken the bait? How many times have you been living life and something came and it, won, it, it proposed an opportunity to be offended? It proposed an opportunity to eat the peanut butter, if you will. And then you find yourself beginning to behave in certain ways, acting certain ways, and, and experiencing certain things in your life, not knowing the thing which is fueling your life is poisonous, and it's called offense. It's called offended. You're trapped. And all offended people really fall into two major categories, those that have been treated unjustly. They have been treated unjustly. There are things in your life where it's legitimate for you to be offended. You can make an excuse at any moment and have justifiable rights to be offended. The second group is those who believe that they have been treated unjustly. Not that they've been treated unjustly, but they believe it. They made it up in their brain, if you will, right? Because their disposition about life is offense, they live with a critical, pessimistic spirit, and they're, they're prone to offense. If you're a pessimistic person, you're prone to offense. If you're a person that is constantly looking out for the bad in things, you're going to find yourself in a place where you're going to be offended. 
Those who believe they have been treated unjustly. Listen, people in this category believe with all their hearts they've been wronged. They have made this up in their brain that they've been. Now, there's some that's legitimate. Hear me, I'm not taking that away because there's some that are legitimate. There is a process to deal with that. But most people, it's, it's something that they believe that they have been mistreated. And often their conclusions, listen, are drawn from inaccurate information. Or their information is accurate, but their conclusion is distorted about the situation. And so a lot of times in our life, this is how we view things. Maybe you're in this room, and that's the way you live your life. Either either way, both people, they've been hurt, and both people, their understanding is darkened. They judge by assumption, appearance, and hearsay. You ever had somebody say, well, you know, and see, like, for example, let's take social media for just a minute. If I worried about every person that unfriended me on Facebook, I would be offended, you don't like me, right? And, and you think, well, pastor, does that really have an impact? Yeah, it has an impact. Why? Because, you know, I want, I want to help people, right? And then, and then people unfriend you, you know, blah, 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 those sorts of things. But I've got to the point now where I'm like, I wish you would. <laughs> I wish you would unfriend me, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, that stuff doesn't bother me, but some people take offense to being unfriended on social media. You're like, well, that's not a big deal. You know, it's not a really big deal. It is a big deal to some people, especially if your world is wrapped up in it. If your world is wrapped up in social media and you're living that, you're living a life of constant. I can tell you right now, you live in a constant place of offense if you live your life through social media. Listen, in every area of our lives, the enemy is setting up circumstances for us to be offended. And there's some things you have to watch for. The bait of offense is a part of a trap, and a trap has two things. Number one, it must be hidden or disguised, right? You don't set it in the living room floor, do you? Like, do you got mice in your house, right, and you just set it in the living room floor and wait? Is he ever going to come out, right? No, why? you got to hide that thing. You put it up against the baseboard where they run around, and you put it up so where it's hidden. It's in dark, dark mode, if you would. And, and it's disguised. And one way the enemy keeps people in offense in an offended state is to keep the offense hidden. And how does it hidden? It's cloaked with pride. Offense is cloaked with pride, and pride keeps us from admitting our true condition. What if we actually said we were prideful people? Right? Then all of a sudden we're taking a layer off. And see, pride keeps you from dealing with truth. It actually distorts your vision is what pride does. So we have to, the offense is often, and the trap is often hidden or disguised. That means there are people in this room that will leave today that live in a lonely, dark place of offense. I'm hoping today that through God's word, God will help you live in that place of freedom. Pride hardens our heart. It dims the eyes of our understanding. It keeps us from the change of heart of repentance that God wants us to have. Pride causes you to view yourself as a victim all the time. I worked in corrections for uh, uh, four years with boys 12 to 15, or 12 to, excuse me, 12 to 18 years old. It was, a, it was a last step program before prison. This was it for them. They got an opportunity. And we did things called thanking errors. And I used to teach classes on thanking errors, and there was about 15 thanking errors. You know, I took the kids through, and the number one thing that I took these kids through was the thanking error called victim stance. 
And a lot of times their victim stance is this, well, it's because of my mom, it's because of my grandma, it's because of this person, it's because of my social economic status, it's because I don't have a lot of money, it's because this is how I was raised, this is blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden they take a victim stance which, which cloaks them with pride to making decisions that are effective for their life. And I was able through teaching to get them out of the victim stance and they started making wise choices. Victims make bad decisions. And a lot of times in our life, we play the victim. Well, I'm supposed to be this. You know, when I, when I, uh, I was in ministry, and I went into ministry in 96 and was in it for two years. And I was a youth pastor, and I was serving a church, and uh, the, this thing just started falling apart. And uh, long story short, um, I got offended at this thing. I ended up resigning, and uh, I, I'll never forget, like, I, I, I stepped away, and I started working construction. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Six months of heaven on earth working construction with my uncle. It was amazing. Couldn't cut a board straight. Come on, somebody. People mean, too, in construction. They'll throw the board back at you if it's not long enough. You know what I'm talking about? And so, uh, anyway, uh, so I was, I was working that. But then I kept, I found myself, like, sitting around going, well, I'm called into ministry. Why isn't anybody, like, calling me to come do something in ministry? Right? Well, I started to play this victim. Well, nobody, you know, maybe based on what I've been through, nobody really wants me to really do anything anymore you know like I've started to play this victim mentality because I was living in this place of offense and I'll never forget my wife one day I was sitting on the couch my wife said would you just shut up for a minute come on somebody thank God for a good wife let's give it a backup no I just I'm just kidding I just I didn't but she said won't you just shut up and stop complaining and, and if you're going to get out of offense husband you're gonna have to get up and go do something Nobody's going to call you on the phone, bro, as cool as you think you are, to tell you to come do ministry someday. You need to stop playing the victim on this couch and get your butt off the couch and go clean some toilets. Thank God for a good wife. I'm only here as your pastor because she told me to shut up and go clean toilets. But I was living in that place of victim stance, and that's a lot of times what happens in our life. We're living in that place of the victim mentality. Well, you know, the prayer pressure and the da-da-da-da-da. Listen, pride causes you to view yourself as a victim. Your attitude becomes, I was mistreated and I was misjudged, therefore I'm justifying my behavior. I'm a victim. You've taken the trap. Listen, but because you believe you're innocent and falsely accused, you hold back forgiveness from people. You think because you were justified in, 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 in being mistreated, which is legitimate. People get mistreated. But the Bible tells us this. He says, though, listen, Proverbs 117, if a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. If there's a trap being set, it's hidden, it's disguised. Number two is this. It must be baited. The bait has to be something that appeals to the nature of the mouse. There's something that has to appeal. And so listen, listen to this quote. He that will play with Satan's bait will quickly be taken by Satan's hook. He that plays with Satan's bait will quickly be taken by Satan's hook. Luke 17, 1, Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe through whom they do come. In other words, listen to what he says. It's impossible. Offenses are inevitable. You're going to get an opportunity to be offended today. If you drive on the highway, offense is happening. You cannot live in this world without getting an opportunity to be offended. So settle the fact that you're going to have an opportunity. 
You will have an opportunity. Our response, though, to offense determines our future. The quality of my life is based on how I handle two kinds of offenses. Number one, to be offended at God and to be offended by others. There are people that are offended at God today. That's why, uh, that's why the average church attendance in America is once every six to eight weeks right now in America. That's why the next generation, we have, the next, we have a, a, a church statistic that, that says the next generation, 2.7% of them actually have a biblical worldview and attend church on a regular basis. Part of that is, is because their parents are inconsistent, therefore that number is kind of skewed because their parents are inconsistent with it. Once every six to eight weeks. Well, we got all this stuff we got to, I get it, I get it. But listen, some of it's because you're offended at God and offended by others. Can I talk real this morning? Luke 17 puts it this way. Though he said to his disciples, again, we keep reading, he says, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to your, in other words, it's best that you just keep your mouth quiet is what he's communicating. Then he says this. He says, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, but be pulled up by the roots. Listen, listen to me, listen to me. I never saw this before. Somebody showed me this this week. That faith and forgiveness go hand in hand. I never saw this, and, and, and I know that we need the Holy Spirit to help us forgive people. But there was something in this passage that jumped off the pages as he tells them, if you're going to forgive somebody seven times, and then he goes on to say 70 times seven, so you've got to forgive the same person 490 times in one day. Come on, Jesus. You know that ain't right. Come on, somebody. That ain't right, Jesus. How are we going to, how are we going to forgive people 490 times in one day? That's why the disciples said, hey... If that's the case, you're going to have to increase our faith. If we're going to be able to forgive others, it's going to have to come through faith. So forgiveness is a faith thing. It allows us to walk in this place in faith to forgive. So listen, here's two things. If you're offended at God, you have to repent. The word repent means to change one's mind. It means to change your mind and go in a different direction. God's never been your problem. He's always been your answer. Hear me today. Listen, if you're offended with God and maybe, well, God, why didn't you do what you said you would do? And, and why is it not working the way you said it was going to work? And why is it taking so long, Jesus? You're getting yourself into that place and you need to repent because what you're doing, a lot of times what happens is you're trying to put yourself in the seat of God. Let God be God and let you be you. And begin to frame up your thought patterns about God through the scripture. Number two is if you're offended at others, you have to forgive. You have to forgive. When it comes to God, let me go back to this for just a minute because I sense in my heart I need to say this. When it comes to God, you have to trust sometimes what you don't see. God is moving in situations and circumstances that you may not necessarily know he's working in. So, if you're offended with him, you may cut off that process. If you're offended with others, you must forgive. So how do I forgive? This is what happens with forgiveness. We have feelings and we have a decision. Feelings will always follow a decision. Hear what I'm saying? Always follow a decision. 
In other words, it's not that you feel like you need to forgive the person. Okay, I feel great today, so I'm going to forgive them. No, it, forgiveness is not based on a feeling. Feeling is, uh, or, uh, forgiveness is based on a decision. It's coming from somewhere else. So forgiveness also is a process. A lot of people think it's instantaneous. Well, it's just instantaneous. It took me 19 years to get to the place for me to hear God say, if you're going to go any further, you got to forgive your dad, you got to move on. Like, I didn't know the whole situation, but I, I forgave my dad. Back when I was 19 year old, sitting in a college uh, apartment, asking God, hey God, what are you going to do with my life? And he said, Jason, you're going no further until you do that. Right? It's a process. It's not instantaneous. It's not a, a magic wand and bang, you're already good. You're good to go. So there's a process, and I really feel that this process is really simple, and I'll close with this, is that there's just three steps to fulfill biblical forgiveness. Number one is to repent to God for unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a sin. Bottom line. Unforgiveness is a sin. Listen, the main way that forgiveness transforms us from, from being a decision uh, 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 of the mind to a posture of the heart. When we, when, we, when we ask God to forgive us for unforgiveness, it postures our heart and gives us the attitude of humility and brokenness. Right? We, 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 we ask God to, to break us and we, ask, we bring humility as we reflect upon God's grace and mercy. Number two is it releases the person from our judgment. It releases the person from our judgment when we fulfill biblical forgiveness. We make a decision to release them from our prison of judgment and revenge into the hand of the Lord. Now listen to me. Some of people, I thank God I can do that with. Jesus, you deal with them. Right? Because he's got lightning and thunder. Come on, somebody. Like, however you want to deal with them, Lord. Struck them dead, amen. No, I'm kidding. Again, we don't tell God how to deal with our enemies. But listen, release the person. Why? Because unforgiveness is drinking the poison, hoping somebody else will die. God wants us to be released from unforgiveness. Release the person from our judgment. We make a decision. Listen, I, the Lord gave me this this morning in the shower. Thank God for he speaks wherever. Most people fear forgiving others because they think it means the relationship is supposed to go back to the way it was. Do you realize that most of the time forgiveness is when it comes to forgiving people that there are still boundaries that have to be set and because that person is toxic. Hear me. Because a lot of times in our life that we think, well, if I forgive them, I have to be restored to them. It's two different ballgames. You can forgive somebody but not be restored into the original relationship because you know now that there is toxicity and toxic in that relationship to where now the boundaries in place, you've forgiven them, you've got it off your heart, you've released them from judgment, right? All of a sudden, and then all of a sudden you're experiencing freedom, but you don't walk back into toxic relationships. Some people are toxic and they need boundaries. Listen, we will let God, we have to let God be our avenger and their judge. We don't try to help the process. So for true release to take place, listen, for true release to take place and for you to release the person from our judgment, listen, we must commit to never slander them, talk bad about them, or seek revenge in any form. Let God do the work. Let God handle the situation. You put the boundary up that's needed, and then you release that person from our judgment. And number three is bless them. 
you mean I got to take them cookies now? That's not what this means. That doesn't mean you're walking up with some chips ahoy with your enemies and people that you've been offended with. Luke 6, 27, 28 says this in the message. He says, uh, but the first verse, he says, uh, New King James says, but I say to you, you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Really? Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Think about that verse. How many of us do that? Oh, man, you just broke my heart. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. You cursed me out on the highway. Hallelujah. Thank you. Praise Jesus. Right? Like, that's not our demeanor. Our demeanor is road rage. It's mine. Cut me off. Watch what happens. Amen. I got to really crucify some things. But he says this in the message. He said, he said, to you who are ready for the truth, I say this, love your enemies, let them bring out the best in you. So by loving them, they're actually bringing out the best in you. Then he says this, he says, he says uh, let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer for that person. In other words, go to pray for them. If, if someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. You better ask Jesus some questions right there. I mean, that's, this is paraphrased, so I don't know if I believe that part. I'm just kidding. He says, <laughs> he says, if someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice, practice the servant life. No more payback, just live generously. Listen to what he says. I believe the greatest thing you can do for somebody that you've been offended with is to bless them. What does that look like? The first place it looks that way is if you would just pray for them. That's what it means to bless somebody. It means that you pray for them. It means that you don't take an aggressive approach. So when we posture our heart to bless and pray, compassion begins to happen in our hearts. We, listen, some of you are blocked in your compassion levels for other people because it's the one person that's keeping you offended that's blocking your compassion to have compassion on other people. You have to let that person go. You have to bless them in prayer. It not only, blessing not only penetrates uh, uh, the darkness of our emotions, but it also reestablishes a person's value of where it should be. Listen, when we're damaged, it's hard to change the way we feel. How many would agree? It's tough to live this certain. Some of you have been taken advantage of, and, and you're offended because of the way people have treated you, and they've taken advantage of you. We have to make a decision to forgive. The feeling doesn't automatically follow. It is a process, and when we bless our enemies and those that have hurt us, it releases a blessing from God that overcomes our feelings and the enemies of our emotional healing. Listen to me today. When you forgive, the blessing of the Holy Spirit begins to come on your life. God doesn't use offended people. The enemy will, but God doesn't. I don't want to be that person. I want God to use me in a way that's a blessing to the people that are around me. We must understand um, God loves those we hate. And blessing somebody, this, if there's anything you get today about blessing, is blessing is an agreement with God's attitude and desire related to our enemies and those that have hurt us. It is God's attitude. 
Well, you say, well, what's that really mean? It's when he's on the cross and he's done been flogged. He's went through the cat of nine tails. He's been uh, put a, a, a crown of thorn on his head. And people are mocking him and pulling out his beard and, and piercing his side and feeding him with a, a, a vinegar out of a toilet while he's on the cross. And, and he's up on the cross and people are ridiculing him. And he's got, if you're really the king of the Jews, come off. And, and people, uh, Jesus had every opportunity to be offended in that moment. But what he, did he do? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My translation is, Father, forgive them. People are stupid. That's my translation. (laughs) But that's what it looks like. When we agree with God, it's the attitude of God when we bless people. When we agree with God, he releases a greater blessing upon us. I really believe that the restoration that I've seen in my life and in my family is because I chose to stop being offended and I got into the level of forgiveness. I really believe that today standing before you as your pastor is because I dealt with offended victim stance mentality. And I believe Jesus is over our offense. God's plan for your future are too big to hold on to an offense from your past. God's plan for your future is too big. The Bible says that a thief offense has come only with one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. Don't let offense block the flow of God in your life. He says, he says, he says, I want you everything in abundance more than you expect. So here's what your takeaway is. It's really simple. Avoiding an offense is impossible but living offended is a choice. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads today. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I've been offended with God, or I've been offended with people today, I'm not gonna call you for it, but I do wanna pray for you because I think it's important that you get free from this stuff. I think it's important that you allow the Lord to set you free. Don't allow the one person or the one situation to block you from what God has for your life when it comes to making a difference. If that person or that thing or that situation is constantly on your mind, today is the day that you can release it from your mind, release it from your judgment, put it into the hands of God, and walk out of here completely free. In the process of forgiveness, you will bless them, you will pray for them, you will will not talk bad about them, but you will not re-engage in the level of offense. Because Jesus is over your offense. We make a decision to not live an offended life. So if you're in this place, you say, Pastor, man, I've been offended with God, I've been offended with others, and today, I just want you to pray for me. That's the altar call today, is let's pray about who we're offended with, let's pray for that person, let's pray for that situation, and let's watch God do something great in your life today. If that's you, just raise up your hand. Nobody's looking around, I just wanna pray for you. That's your place, you've been living in that place of offense, and either towards somebody or towards God, just raise up your hand. If you're, in the, uh, if you're on the chat today, go ahead and put the word yes, raise your hand up there, and we wanna pray for everybody today. So Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you today for those God in this room that may be experiencing some stuff of offense, of being offended. Lord, it's blocking the blessing of the Lord in 
their life. We pray today. We release those people. We release those situations. We release those circumstances today into your hands. We bless them. We don't curse them. We speak life over them. We, Lord, today release that off of our hearts. God, we thank you today that we'll not let the past and past things and past relationships and past stuff hold us up any longer from our destiny and from and from our purpose, but Lord, today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I speak freedom, I speak blessing, I speak it over their life, and I pray you break the chain that's been in their mind of a victim stance, of woe is me mentality, that today you're over our offense. You said it's going to come, we're going to have opportunity, but Lord God, let us live like you did. You live in that place of a predisposition of forgiveness. That Lord God, we know we're going to see these things and experience these things, but Lord, thank you today that, Lord God, you want us to live in that place of forgiveness. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life. I, I want to come home to God. Or maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you did and you need to come home to God. And you need to make a decision today to say yes to Jesus. Maybe today that's your next step is to say yes to Christ. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you today that I can receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you walked away from God or maybe you've never even said yes to Christ. Maybe today's your day. I want you to know there's nothing more freeing than forgiveness in your own personal life from Jesus. So if you're in this place, you say, that's me. Will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you today. You say, that's me. I want to pray, I want to pray for you today. That you say, yes, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anybody in the place today? Anybody at all? Well, Father, we pray for the harvest. We pray for the harvest today, Lord. Lord, everybody in this room saved. And so I thank you today that, Lord, that we'll not leave this place uh, coming back next week with somebody that may be not knowing you, Lord. I pray, God, that we pray for the harvest today. We pray for workers to be sent forth into the harvest. We pray, Lord, for full altars. We pray for, for multitudes to say yes to Jesus. We pray today, Lord, that, God, that's your heart, is to go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. And so, Lord, today we pray and thank you that you empower your church to be light and salt in the earth. So we love you. We praise you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap, everybody. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.